Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos, HSI familia, and welcome to Que Pasa, HSIs. Today, we are talking to Dr. Michael Benitez, who is the Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion and an Associate Professor of Multicultural Education at Metropolitan State University of Denver. Dr. Benitez has worked in higher education in different capacities for over 25 years, including academic affairs, student affairs, diversity and inclusion, and teaching. He has authored book chapters and articles on identity development, cultural centers, ethnic studies, hip hop culture, institutional research, campus climates, and faculty development. He has also been featured in educational documentaries, contributed to online magazines, scholarly databases, books, and peer reviewed journals. In other words, he's an effective translator of research to practice. Dr. Benitez is a scholar, a practitioner, a leader, a community organizer, and an overall dope human. He is joined by Dr. Manuel Del Real, who is the Executive Director of HSI Initiatives and Inclusion at Metro State. He, has he was raised on the north side of Denver and attended Denver Public Schools and completed his BA and MA at the University of Denver. In other words, he is a product of Dem Denver, where he continues to serve his community in his role at Metro State Dem University, Denver. He serves as the co-principal investigator for an NSF HSI pilot project, is the president for the Colorado Coalition for the Educational Advancement of Latinxes, or COCL, is associate vice president for membership for the Alliance of HSI Educators, and co-founder of the Colorado HSI Consortium. We have a great episode today with these two practitioners who are doing the damn thing at MSU Denver. As a common thread, both Dr. Benitez and Dr. Del Real have PhDs from Iowa State University, and both are members of Latino Greek organizations. Shout out to the L Glows. So let's get going. Thank you both for taking the time to be here today on Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. But first, we're going to talk about you and how you got into HSI work. Yeah, so definitely, uh, uh, it's been pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I, I was born and raised on the north side of Denver, uh, you know, which is pretty much five minutes away from current campus. And so um, really, my educational journey happened on this campus, uh, at least like uh, starting from uh, the end of eighth grade, uh, I did a Denver prep program through the Community College of Denver and University of Colorado Denver. So I was here for three years, but then I also did the high school upward bound program through MSU Denver. And so literally was on this campus for a good five years uh, before then, you know, I took some classes and then transferred over to the University of Denver, which was about 15 minutes south. So, uh, so yeah, so I feel that um, it's been pretty exciting, you know, to, to have been able to start my career here, you know, go to a private institution for six years to get my bachelor's and my master's in higher ed. And, and that's where, you know, again, really getting involved with Greek letter organizations, civic engagement, service learning. Um, and that really prompted me to get the master's in higher ed. But then also it was through, you know, the fraternity as well and having uh, models that were at Iowa State that then were like, hey, you should come get a PhD out there. And so that was my experience, you know, leaving out of state um, to go to another land grant institution in the Midwest. And so that was pretty exciting to, to be able to you know, just be in that space to be able to have that experience 
Um, and so that also then made me realize that, you know, I definitely wanted to come back uh, to my comunidad, to be back, you know, where I was from and, 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 and be able to contribute to my community. And so it's, it was crazy that, you know, nine years later, uh, I'm back uh, on this uh, campus, um, you know, for MSU Denver. And so it's been pretty exciting to, uh, to be able to have that full circle uh, and be able to at least be from the community, um, have that experiences from, you know, we're, we're a campus that's, you know, 99.9% of our student population's commuter. And so, um, so that's been pretty exciting to, to really be able to be back here. Um, I noticed that, you know, a lot of my experiences were in HSIs, but again, it was doing my doctoral work where I was able to hear from, you know, Dr. Juan Guardia's work with ethnic identity and how that was developed, um, you know, at HSI. And so, um, so again, that, that's what really, um, put me in the realm of HSI, but then it really was in my, you know, current role now that it was really fully immersing myself, um, into this HSI world. And so, um, so that's been pretty exciting to, um, to really be able to be back into this work. And so crazy story, just to throw out there, uh, I started my role three weeks before the pandemic hit. So again, that's interesting when folks would be like, well, how was the culture? And I was like, well, we're in a pandemic. Uh, so again, I think that really uh, prompted um, the work that I currently do now, but definitely um, having at least, you know, scholar experience going into administration. And so I think that really my educational journey really helps me in my current role, being able to look at students, faculty, staff, and community members, and what are the needs and how do I then, you know, place this, uh, you know, this new designation and how we're moving forward with this HSI status, but also embracing this minority serving institution status as well. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of a, my, my background. Right on. Um... Now I'll go next. So first, um, Dr. G, AKA and Managina, it's a pleasure to be here in the podcast with you. So thanks for having us and inviting us to, uh, to join in. Uh, a little bit about my, my HSI journey. You, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm from Puerto Rico. I'm an Afro-Boricua, uh, you know, moved to New York when I was about what, six, seven years old, uh, ended up homeless in the Lehigh Valley, uh, where we, you know, my mom found shelter and very quickly started to see the tensions between uh, a black community or lack thereof or anti-blackness or colorism in the Latino community. So I've always wrestled to identify myself as, as, as just as Latino. I think that racially and ethnically, I identify as actually an, an Afro-Boricua or even Afro-Taino. But politically, when people ask me what's my political affiliation, I say, oh, that's easy, Latino. You know, I see it more as uh, uh, an identity that, that, that has power in collective, uh, and, and, and collective upbringings and, and movements and ways to show up in community together. Um, went to Penn State, uh, and I didn't go to any HSIs. I think that HSIs for me is a term that I learned probably later while I was maybe in, in, in grad school, actually. Uh, uh, your work was uh, sort of my introduction to this to, to HSI as a concept, not as a process, but as a marked, demarcated concept, right? That's so important to 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 make clear. Uh, and then seeing that your work actually uh, highlights and addresses structures, which so much of the work doesn't. But I will say the first work around HSI for me is Laura Rendon's work on validation theory, right? When you go back to the 90s and you start to see who's actually thinking about the experience 
experiences culturally of Latinos in higher education and how does that show up differently? At Penn State, man, we, you know, it's a very white school, it still is, but they had all the TRIO programs. I came in through TRIO and we had a very large Latino community. Now, not large in percentage, but hey, 4% of 50,000 students, it's a hell of a lot Latinos. <laughs> so we had our own space, if that makes sense. And so we uh, had our rumbas, we had the PRSA, we had Latino caucus. And, and then I was a big part of uh, black organizations because that's a big part of my identity culturally. And and uh, and 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 just kind of sitting sitting in in that tension, I came. I want to respond to it this way. I've worked at uh, R ones or uh, uh, largely white liberal arts schools, privates, top tier, most of my career. So I wanted to go to an HSI. I wanted to go to a place where I saw the people around me walking around, be reflected. Uh, I didn't want to have to interpret what chancla means. I didn't want to have to interpret what que lo que means, you know, or, or any other words that we throw out in Spanish, right? Uh, that kind of stem from, from, from our cultura that don't land as part of the norm. And that's why I came to MSU Denver. I saw that it was uh, an HSI. I didn't know that it had just become an HSI when I came, but I saw that I had a large Latino and Hispanic student body. Uh, I, I saw that it was grounded in, in uh, social justice, even if it's not marked as such. Uh, so my experience with HSIs, it's 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 marked in siloed, uh, insular spaces within predominantly white spaces where we found a way to exist and celebrate each other and advance with la cultura and even bring all the nuances and intricacies that come with our cultura uh, to the forefront uh, by way of uh, addressing right our own tensions uh, interculturally within la cultura and that's just a little bit about me and how I came into uh, HSI as a concept and as a movement. Thank you both for bringing um, scholars into the room, into the space, into the pod who I have drawn heavily from. Um, you know, I appreciate you saying like, oh, we read your work. Uh, you know, Gina, we definitely have learned from your work, but people like Laura Rendon, Juan Guardia, like I've been citing them forever, right? Like I draw on their work. They are foundational scholars. And I think we have to do that, right? We have to acknowledge um that even if we weren't defining serviness prior to, I say, 2015, um, we were defining serviness, right? People have been defining serviness for quite some time and or doing serviness. Y'all both shout out spaces like Latino Greek organizations, cultural organizations, trio, right? Like spaces that have been doing serviness for a long time. Um, so thank you for bringing that in, into the space. That's important for us to always, you know, acknowledge and honor um, how we got here and where we're going. So I wanted to, to note that. And with that, I want to turn to y'all's history. So Metro State University Denver um, has a beautiful website. Thank you for, for doing that work. I, I'm going to stay right here. Anyone listening, um, visit their website to learn a good way to document history of HSIs. This is a space for sharing good um, practices. And I think y'all y'all have a good practice of documenting your history. Um, so I did learn a lot um, and I appreciated being able to, to just learn about your HSI um, work and, and bit major milestones just from looking at, at the website. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I want you to talk about um, anything that's maybe not there because there's so much to be said. And the website for me was is very much milestone-y, right? Like here's some major milestones mm -hmm. um, versus any other sort of like 
what else do we need to know, right, about your process? This process is not an easy process. It's it's not, we're, we're not arriving anytime soon. We are in a process. Yeah. Um, so, Manny, you want to talk about that, about anything maybe not on the website that's worth <laughs> us noting about your history? Yeah, definitely. Like, again, I think that that was really important for me to, to really start this work was really like to document because, again, as we know in higher ed, there's a lot of folks that leave. And so, again, there was a lot of uh, pertinent folks that did start this work, right? And they haven't been here anymore. And so, for me, it was really important to document the history of this journey as we move forward because, again, that's important for us to even think about transparency and how we're communicating with the community and, you know, faculty, staff, and students, right? And so, um, one of the things that I did want to share, and I feel like that's a, a common theme here in the state of Colorado is that, you know, we have departments of Chicano, Chicana studies that really helped, you know, implement this work, right? Do this work even before it was a designation. And so, um, so I think that that was huge for MSU Denver was just to, you know, that we had this, uh, the Chicano, Chicano studies program that was started and some of the leadership um, of that department was really the ones that helped out with our um, task force and how we move forward. Um, I definitely wanted to just highlight too that, you know, again, in, in 2008, that's when we had like at least like a list of, I, I know we had more recommendations, but at least we had 55 recommendations. And so out of those, you know, 16 became priority. I know that we worked with excellence and education um, on that as well as an institution to work with that. Uh, but then one of the priorities was to, to really uh, provide special tuition rates um, for undocumented students. And so, again, that was, you know, a, a, a move by our, you know, board of trustees um, and, and folks on the task force, right? And so, again, like, that was really the impetus that, you know, the following year, that's when they passed the asset bill, which is advancing students for a stronger economy tomorrow. And so again, but a lot of folks don't realize is that, you know, us making that move, um, right, you know, legislatively, politically wise, like there was folks that were being told to, to remove themselves from their positions, right? So that active stance is really why, you know, I even am able to be here to advocate, you know, and say, look, there's a folks that were, their, their job was on the line, you know, even just trying to make this move. Um, and, and so it was really important, you know, that when that, that, that asset bill did come um, and to be passed that, you know, we did have a student that said that, you know, they chose MSU Denver because MSU Denver chose them, you know, and so that's one of the things that, that being critical, you know, making sure that we have a stance, you know, when, when other institutions are like, oh, well, how do you do that? And I was like, well, if your board and trustees and leadership is pushing, right, where it's almost their jobs are on the line, you know, that's advocacy right there um, as well. And, and so I think, again, being able to, to be that support system for our DACA and undocumented students here in the state, that even transcends the work that we do now at the advocacy and policy level, but then also too, you know, as we're developing the Colorado HSI consortium, that was important for us to also make sure that this identity of undocumented DACA students is part of our serving this framework to move forward as a state. Um, so that's been exciting and just some pieces that I would say uh, that highlighted. I don't know if uh, Mike wants to add anything else. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I I agree with all of that. But you know, you know, what's interesting, and I think a lot of the, the the connections that at times institutions fail to make. We all know that these offices would not be in existence if it wasn't for ethnic studies and the movement of ethnic studies. Right? It's so important to to highlight and mark that sort of passing of the baton and that sort of gateway, that pipeline to what eventually became multicultural affairs and diversity and inclusion and intercultural development and engagement. 
All right. And so uh, I'd be remiss if, if we didn't mention that uh, the, the primary undertaking was a result of administrators here, largely Latino at the time, some elders now before they were probably a little younger. And Chicano studies, the space that we know as Chicano studies uh, played a significant role. The faculty in that space, uh, you know, one uh, Luis Torres, who eventually went on to serve as a deputy provost after serving as a chair and as a, a, a faculty member in Chicano studies. Uh, so, so, so there's a saliency of a politic of identity that needs to be accounted for around proximity to to issues and movement uh, that that really matter here. And 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 so that we do have uh, not just like a sprinkle of locality and community, but I think that so much of the work at MSU Denver around HSI, even was when it wasn't marked as such, uh, was led and informed uh, quite a bit by understanding how this institution is situated uh, in, 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 in what is a, a pretty large Latino community. Uh, you know, back to the history you, you highlighted around, uh, 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 you know, who this, who, whose land this was, and the transition and kind of evolution of post-colonial spaces uh, and, and, and land and, uh, and, and the likes. So I, I think that piece is also important uh, to highlight uh, because it sits, the work sits with my office, interpreted through my office. Now, it belongs to the whole university. We're not the only ones doing it. We really do have quite a bit of involvement, but I appreciate you marking that history and part of why it is on our website is because so often we don't archive our, pro our historical processes of getting from point A to point Z and what that looks like and how important that is as a framework for other different types of identity works. Absolutely. Now you started to like dabble into my next question, um, which I would like you to talk a little bit more about um, because I know it's 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 an important part of y'all's history as an HSI. Mm -hmm. As you both know, I visited and like when I visited Metro State a few years back, the same year you arrived, um, Mike. Right. Like we both were there that that year you arrived. Your first year is when I, I visited. People talked about this deep history of Latinos in the Denver area, in the Aurora area, but also there's some tensions of displacement, mm -hmm. right? And so talk to us about that, particularly from your decolonial lens um, and what that means to do this HSI work with that history and, and what that history is for people that don't know it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that question. So, you know, uh, MSU Denver is situated in what we know as uh, as, as AHEC, uh, Auraria Higher uh, education. Uh, I forgot what the C stands for. Center. Uh, there we go. Center. We share our campus with uh, two other uh, uh, institutions, with Community College of Denver and with University of Colorado Denver. So we're sort of an tri-institutional campus. Um, before AHEC was born, this place known as Auraria uh, was a community of Chicanos and Mexicanos and Latinos, uh, literally blocks and blocks of just uh, hundreds of families. And at that time, there was a, a flood, a major flood that hit. 
And, uh, you know, for for whatever it's worth, everybody's going to make their different interpretations around history, that it was good because it offered opportunity and we opened up access for Latino students and families and working families. It was good because we need this different type of education in the name of progress. It was good, A, B, and C. But, you know, what's real about it, too, though, is that at the end, it was the displacement uh, of, a, of, of, of Latino communities uh, who were influential and impactful and who have had generations of, of, of presence and impact here. So that's not to be taken lightly, right? When you kind of uh, move an entire community and you you then put in place uh, 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 an institution like AHEC for higher education, for progress, without figuring out what does mending and reconciling or a reparatory strategy looks like uh, for those Latino families. And, and yeah, there's something to be said. Before that space was Latino, it was, it was, it was likely uh, some shape of white, whatever white looked like back then, uh, before Mexicans became that community. Uh, you know, and before that, it was, the, you know, the Arapaho Nation. So, right, we have to look at the sort of the, the evolution of colonialism and displacement and becoming and understanding that the same space that was before, though differently, is still the same space that exists now. To try to paraphrase a little bit of the words of uh, Linda Twy Smith and decolonizing methodologies, right? It's, it's also to say that uh, we work intentionally to hold on to that tension. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a bad tension if you want to look at it like that, but it's, it's just a tension, no different than living in the U.S. Uh, you know, th th there's a tension that comes with being complicit while still trying to advance and do good, solid, liberatory work. So the way that we sit with that tension is by acknowledging, uh, owning. Uh, we've stepped into the conversations by offering uh, a full, basically, uh, full need scholarships or, you know, uh, full tuition for not for all Orarians or family members uh, who are related, descendants of displaced Orarians. Uh, right? That's, and, and, and granted, I get that a full tuition scholarship may not be everything or enough, but is something that is material in nature, is something that says we got you so that you could help also advance uh, your own mobility for you and your family and your community. It's not just an acknowledgement. There's a real material element to it. And the conversation, you know, ensues. Today, we're still having conversations with some of the elders in the community, with a lot of the descendants of the displaced around how can we continue to lean better into that history? How can we continue to serve the, the community, especially the Latino community around us? Uh, Denver has a pretty large population. We are an anchor mission institution. So just by mission alone, it is our duty, our moral obligation, and, and even moral obligation uh, to have to be in that tension and that conversation and own the beautiful and own the ugly and still advance the work. That's why I tell people, how do we do this work and how do we wrestle with those tensions? We learn how to walk through systems of oppression liberated. That's how we do it. I'm snapping and clapping over here. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this is why I was like, we need to get you on the pod because you just be dropping mics like bam, 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 bam. <laughs> so thank you for that. And I love, I talk about living in dualities all the time. I'm like, we can live in dualities. And the reality is doing this kind of work that, that we do, the three of us do, right? That's justice mm -hmm. work. It's 
it's dualities because we're doing it in spaces that have been predominantly white and continue to be predominantly white, right? At, at the structural level. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we got in order to break this down to get to that liber true liberatory spaces, we're going to have to live in tensions. Um, and that's part of this work. So, indeed, oh, indeed. No, I appreciate that question. It's such an important question. And I think one that, uh, I, I'm, I'm certain there are certain pockets throughout the U.S., but it's, it's also because of the AHEC uh, and shared nature of the work, uh, mm. so, so unique to this particular mm -hmm. space in Denver and AHEC and the way that it is structurally uh, framed and anchored. Absolutely. So as y'all have been talking, um, and I say this all the time on the pod, my brain is like, my research brain is like mapping on the like structures for serving. This podcast really is um, in real time defining what, what servingness looks like, right? And it's attached to the servingness framework. Y'all have already talked about external influences. You've already talked about structures like ethnic studies. Um, but I want to get into some of your work that you're doing with the grant work. Um, so within the servingness framework, we do talk about the HSI grants as being important uh, structures for serving, that they are not the end of HSI. It's a, it's a place to do more intentional HSI work. Mm -hmm. um, and y'all have been quite successful, right, at, with securing your Title V Part A and B and also NSF HSI grants, um, which, Manny, I know you serve as, as um, a PI for the NSF HSI grant. So if you want to tell us about how y'all have used those grants to address the structure specifically, like curriculum, mission, support services for students. Um, talk to us about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we've uh, successfully secured nine grants, so a little over 14 million in total HSI MSI funds since we've become an HSI. And so one of the first ones that we did receive was in 2019, right when we got the designation, was the Title V Part Three grant, so the post-baccalaureate opportunities for Hispanic Americans. And so that one is is for our uh, uh, Denver Nutrition Program. And so that really supports our graduate students in the field of nutrition to be able to, again, get stipends. Uh, they also have an annual conference that they're able to present at as well. And so that was actually one of the um, programs that I was able to help fund um, presenting at ASI uh, this past uh, um March as well. And so some of the great work that they're doing, just again, supporting students um, to, you know, be more into that field, right? Because that field doesn't have that many students of color. Um, and especially again, when we're talking about nutrition and being in the community. So, so that's been one of the grants that's been really successful. Um, again, when I told you all that uh, I started three weeks before the pandemic, we also got CARES funding. So that was one of the grants, you know, we got a little over um, 5 million uh, to support students in various ways. And so again, that was exciting for us to be very transparent to, to say, hey, look, you know, we got these funds, this, you know, this went to like our teaching assistance, our learning assistance program, this went to, you know, faculty development to, to helping them again, go to a, a hybrid um, or fully remote online course, right? And so I'm um, being able to help uh, faculty with some of that professional development with AQ, uh, with the Scala, and, and so a lot of different uh, programs there as well. Uh, we also were able to, one of the first projects that I was uh, brought to my attention was the fact that, hey, we're an HSI, but we don't have any translation services mm -hmm. um, for Spanish. And so, again, it was looking, working with a, um, an organization here that, you know, some of their CEOs are faculty members at MSU Denver. And so working with that organization, establishing, um, you know, uh, translation services, interpretation services now. And so being able to still use some of the remaining funds from the CARES funds to really support a lot of the work that we're doing with translating the website as well. And so now we have a, a Spanish uh, uh, website 
website that we're able to build on. We have classes that now are, are fully in Spanish from the curriculum to the, mm -hmm. um, the syllabus to all of the, you know, assignments. And so um, also like biliteracy certifications as well. And so that's been pretty exciting to, to really be able to use these funds and really also show other students, right, that, hey, you know, you might not identify as Hispanic or Latinx, but if you had a TA or an LA in that course, you benefited from these funds as well. So I think, again, it was part of that educational piece, too, of letting the institution know why it's important um, to have HSI, MSI grants, what is the need for them um, as well. And it's just not some sort of funding that, oh, let's just do it because we're an HSI, but also we need to make sure that, you know, we have... Um, programs that are doing some really great work where we have data where we're able to be competitive, right? Mm -hmm. So again, this is a field of competitive. So again, we can't just be like, oh, let's go for any grant. Um, so it's been pretty exciting. We've been able to also get, you know, uh, a Title V Part A grant that, you know, focuses on our Space Tech Scholars Program. So I would say, you know, that a good, uh, you know, out of the out of the NSF grants that we have received at MSU Denver, the majority of our grants are STEM focused. And so I would say that MSU Denver is becoming a STEM ecosystem for our students, right? And so um, so it's been exciting to, to really be able to develop that relationship with NSF. Again, really it's more focusing on our undergraduate students to helping them have a sense of belonging, building that, um, that sense of, um, of want to be in the STEM fields um, and then uh, being able to support them, right? Uh, so one of the grants that I'm the principal investigator for is our learning assistance uh, transfer pathway. So that's been exciting because that's one that we have uh, a grant that we share with the Community College of Denver. And so again, we're the only one of the institutions in the state that actually has two grants with the community college. So the other one was, is with our national security agency with Otero College. And so that's been exciting to really also have that experience of like, oh my gosh, it takes the challenges of having two institutions sharing a grant and you know who's collecting the data and, and all these different challenges that come with that. And so that's been exciting to really be able to work with these grants um, and, and really support students with, uh, you know, being able to be in that classrooms, mm -hmm. supporting students. Um, and then, you know, we just had a poster session where students were able to present on what they've learned. And so again, talking to them about like a growth mindset and how they've been able to help students in some of these you know, biology courses or some of these gatekeeper courses and being able to be visible, sharing the resources with other students in that classes. And so, so that's been my sort of role is saying like, hey, we do have this, you know, STEM ecosystem. How are we making sure that students now that are part of this grant are able to know that, hey, we also have, hey, we want to go to, you know, uh, uh, space tech or aviation. We have this other grant, right, to be able to support them. So really making these connections with all of the NSF grants and making sure that students know that there's uh, additional pathways through these additional grants. Um, and so another thing I just wanted to also touch base on is that we also implemented a Hanover Grant Academy. And so again, because MSU Denver, with terms of our capacity with our OSRP office and university advancement office, we, we went externally with Hanover Research. And so we've had uh, two successful cohorts of eight individuals participating in handover. And so, so again, it's really just allowing them to delve into grant writing processes, um, getting one-on-one -on -one support and really be able to help out with that. And so we've had a successful uh, staff member receive the U.S. Department of Education's uh, Augustus Hawkins grant. 
Um, so again, it's a little over 1.5 million. And so that's really going to our school of education to help out um, mm -hmm. uh, men of color be able to go into the field of education and be teachers, right? And so, um, so that's been exciting uh, too, is to really be able to contribute not only to getting these grants, but also helping with developing a structure of support for the PIs that are receiving these grants, but then also making sure that, again, the, the processes, right, of the accounting, are we charging the grant, um, is all in a place too. So then that way we're at least um, maintaining a structure of support, but then also having those questions of how are we sustaining these grants yeah. once they're over. Um, so that's kind of my process with that uh, LA transfer pathway right now. I'm like, we're in our last year. How are we sustaining this? How are we also maybe leveraging folks from the Hanover Grant Academy to look at some grants that could support that? So um, it's been pretty exciting to, to really be able to lead this work, um, lead folks into just the educational pieces of what they can do with uh, the HSI MSI grants. Um, and so again, really just uh, going to our overall mission of being a model HSI, right? And I think sharing, um, sharing collaboration of grants, but then also allowing mm -hmm. that knowledge to be shared throughout the state. So then that way we all know what grants are in the state. So then again, we could be collaborative um, and intentional when we're you know pursuing a statewide grant. Um, so it's been exciting. Love it. Can I attend your grant, your grant, um, <laughs> sessions? Hey, Mara, are they open you know, yet? You, you know, you are more than welcome to join us anytime. Got you. Uh, yeah. We need a like, keynote I mean, speaker a... for our grant academy orientation. So, hey, look. Oh, okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's such a valuable, like, tool you're providing for people, right? Like, that's, that's, it's hard work. Um, and this is competitive. It's a co competitive space. All of this it, higher ed is is hierarchical. So the haves continue to get more and more and more and the haves not, right. do not. <laughs> right. Like right. it's a social reproduction and grant writing is at the core of that. So for HSIs to spend time um, making sure that people have those skills is like, I love to hear it. Uh, um, so, yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you before we uh, pass the mic back over Um you serve as the executive director of HSI initiatives, which is different than being a PI. And no, none of our guests have talked yet about that because there's a growing trend to have mm -hmm. an HSI director. We'll just say sort of broadly HSI director, which we know is not the PI, right? PIs of grants are different. Um, so talk to us about the significance of you having that role and or your <laughs> thoughts on like the need to have an HSI director. People listen yeah, tell to them, man, listening. Tell them. Like, do we need them? Do we need an executive director of HSI initiative? There, there's the question. Yeah, I'll <laughs> definitely say uh, what Mike called. I'm, I'm really leading the, the lowrider uh, HSI bus here. Uh, again, that's the community-wise. You know, there's a lot of lowrider um, history here. And so, so again, leading these efforts, and I really tell institutions that are thinking about being an emerging HSI that, like, you need to have a director doing this work. Like, I always tell everyone that I already need an assistant director just because of the, mm -hmm. all the nuances that I, you know, the, the relationships that you have to build with faculty, staff, and students, the community partnerships, um, again, managing the grants, right? So, again, that was my role as working with the Office of Sponsored Research Programs, making sure that I have a pulse of all the grants that we have, what are some needs, what are the data being collected behind that, 
Um, again, and then being part of the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, we also have um, programming that we do as well. So the Higher Education Diversity Summit is another one that then I'm under my realm too. And so making those connections as well. Um, also, again, just like leading the Colorado HSI Consortium. So, so again, being able to be in my role, I've been able to develop different initiatives, right? So then there's, there's the Hanover Grant Academy. That's our initiative to help out with grant support. We also have Escala Faculty mm -hmm. Development that I've been able to have um, various faculty be able to participate in that, but then also um, even developing like HSI week was a whole other initiative where I was like, oh my gosh, we don't have, we don't develop this. So even developing programs, what does that look like? Again, how do we educate and trans be transparent to the institution? But then I would even say that that Colorado HSI consortium was a whole other, you know, that's a whole other project, right? And that's leveraging mm -hmm. the Colorado Department of Higher Ed, the Colorado Community College System. That's, you know, leveraging, you know, 13 HSIs, 12 emerging, right? And really being able to identify, like, what are the best practices? Does everyone in the state know about, you know, uh, what does serving this mean? And so, again, using your work, uh, Dr. Garcia, right, to being like, hey, there's a typology, there's a multidimensional framework. And so making sure that folks are knowledgeable about that at the institutional level as well as the state level. Um, so overall, to say that my role has definitely uh, increased, it's grown in so many different levels and so many different ways. I would even say like developing relationships with membership organizations has also been a whole other area, right? Um, my involvement with COSIO, ASI, you know, HAKU, Excellence and Education, right? Like there's so many relationships and so many uh, things that come with that, right? Like HAKU always sends out all these different webinars. And so then I become the go-to person of like, oh my gosh, there's this webinar on Fulbright scholars, like, okay, where does that need to be sent to? And so, so you really become um, sort of the, the liaison between all these different departments. And then folks think that I work directly with students. So then it's also working with student affairs and our different offices too, with that student piece and making sure that we're looking at student persistence and success. And so uh, so there's a lot of different uh, elements to my role that, you know, I definitely encourage folks um, to really commit to this role um, because, again, it's there's so many different levels. And the one thing I would say, too, is getting into my role, I really was trying to develop a community of mentors or other folks doing this work. And so reaching out to Dr. Malafranco was a huge one of being like, what are y'all doing over at the University of Arizona? And so being able to really model some of the work that's going on there, but then even also developing a culture of other. HSI directors, so kind of developing a little cohort. So now I have about like eight folks, you know, and that's folks from Utah, folks from Wichita, you know, and and really being able to share my experiences as an HSI executive director um, and what that looks like and how that support. Um, so so really being a mentor in various areas too, and showing, you know, what's working for us at MSU Denver. So highly encouraged that this role is uh, has a huge significance and really one that is a testament to institutions that really want to do this work. Mm -hmm. so. Yes, yes, plus one, plus one. I think I know those <laughs> folks in Utah and Wichita. I think I visited yeah. with them. I think the interesting thing is the emerging HSIs are starting because I mm -hmm. think the folks you're talking about, they're at emerging HSIs, right? Mm -hmm. I think about Elizabeth Gonzalez at UCLA, Tambien, right? right? Like people who are like, that. That the fact that they're putting HSI directors in place before hitting HSI, that is a, a, a clear like, yes, we want to do this and we want to be intentional about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Meanwhile, we're all trying to stay up with Marla Franco. Keeping up with Marla <laughs> Franco is, is the, the HSI world. That's who we try to keep up with. She's just, you know, just 
crushing it right for yep. for as far as really building a structure so appreciate her for for helping uh, a lot of us right to really see what this looks like so mike i want to turn it back to you because i want to talk about your role so one thing i see is sometimes tensions between hsi and dei or whatever we're calling it these days um work <laughs> right that they don't always coalesce that mm -hmm. sometimes they're completely apart and that feels weird to me. It doesn't feel collaborative. doesn't feel like we're in, co you know, coalition building or any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about that, the, the significance of your role and how you see HSI as working with, but also you have other things beyond HSI, right? So yeah, talk to yeah. us about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. You know, when, when uh, Manny joined us in 2019, uh, the institution right before that time. No, he joined us in twenty uh, in uh, early twenty twenty. The institution when they uh, uh, first made the decision, uh, they made the decision right before I got here to turn that into a permanent position, not just sort of a uh, the yearly contract position, right? And everything moved so quickly. Uh, when I came in here, uh, I just you know I, I I I like to think that I changed some of the structural tone, right? As the VP of DNI, self proclaimed VP of the Colonizing affairs. I'm working on that too, but that that's that that one's a little bit, you know, more challenging. Uh, you know, uh, I'll say this. I think that there's such a mix-up in the way that we understand uh, sort of the, the 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 crossroads and the intersections of this work, and we have to look at this work as uh, how does it fit within structures, uh, how does it align with the different elements and aspects of a structure, and how does everybody take ownership and uh, uh, responsibility for the work in a very kind of co-designed, co-ownership sort of way. So by bringing the tone, or as you know, we like to say, or Preston likes to say, right, leaders bring the weather, is, is also how, uh, how are we advocating in ways that make sense based on the institutional mission? If we have a large Latino student constituency, we're an anchor mission with modified access as part of our identity, that means we're going to get students, you know, with probably a 2.6 uh, GPA, uh, and we have to figure out what does that mean uh, from a faculty and teaching and curricular standpoint, and we're going to get students with a 4. 4.5 GPA, and we can't look at it through a deficit lens. We got to look at it through a how we serve, who we serve, about who we serve type of lens, a real servingness lens. And I think that's been done in, in different ways at different institutions who have had some success before uh, you started to market, right, as the servingness, right, as this, 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 this thing that is actually a thing that matters, and we need to be more attentive to it at that high level. Um, when I think about my role here, yes, I oversee the, the Office of uh, Hispanic Serving Initiatives. It's under me. But I also think about the ecosystem that Manny was referring to. When we were talking about a lot of these different initiatives, it made sense uh, for us to not just rely on a freaking grant uh, before we make a move like that. What does it mean for the institution itself to commit the dollars and to commit some of the infrastructure and the resources to be able to make this happen? And how are we collaborating with different spaces 
faces and constituents on campus, academic affairs, student affairs, and guess what? Also enrollment and financial aid and finance operations and, oh, and, and advancement. People forget about the role of advancement, right, in helping to secure uh, our funds and the collaboration, the very needed and important collaboration between advancement and something like HSI servingness. It has to be weaved into the strategic plan of the institution. And not only weaved in, we also have to operationalize it and create some, 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 some real action and direction uh, behind it. So that, that's what we've done here. So when we talked about the Hanover Grand Academy, you know, that came by way of, okay, we don't have enough capacity who understand this. Can we serve as the space that uh, commits the funds whereby we amplify capacity and we build up the capacity so that different faculty and staff members uh, can, can, can not only learn how to do it, but really be a, a, a significant part of the contribution and the process moving forward. You know, part of my annoyance at times with a lot of this work, and to your point, is that we'll say, I, Mira, all right, HSI, things are happening more brown students. And then we'll select the brown person to lead that work and half the time that brown person doesn't even know what's going on because that's not ex their expertise, even though it's a freaking brown person. And I get that, but right, that's very different than being theoretically grounded and having you know a sound foot in the research that informs the work. And then I'll add that a big part of this is also accounting for everybody that plays a role. There's the researchers, but then there's the real people, the folks, the practitioners, practitioners on the ground, the let me let me mark it, the at will practitioners, right? Without tenure who are pushing this work and are always at risk of getting pushed out because they believe in something that the institution said it believes in. That's the piece. Not just that they came out of the blue and some, yo, let me have a little piece of that. This is important. No. You said it's important as a university, as an institution. I'm just leaning on our mission and how are we holding institutions accountable to our mission, to our vision, to our stated goals and objectives. So HSI serving this is, is, is one of our uh, DEI pillars under our diversity strategic plan. It has a whole leg on its own. And the moment that I got here, we started to create a whole process of capacity uh, around that effort so that, you know, right now, yes, it's many, but we've also been, we've been able to build out the office in the meantime with faculty fellows and other staff and student employees and graduate students you know i got a dope team that has been able to really make that happen as we build and integrate the work then comes the next and that's where we're at is now how do we build it into the baseline how do we build it into the infrastructure and fund it for that sustainable element of ecosystems to be able to to keep thriving this at the forefront so if we're going to be 30 percent Latinos, then we need to make sure that we're also aligning the representation uh, around staff and around faculty representation. And back to the Escala piece, that's not just about Latinos, right? The Escala piece is about helping the institution understand that if we're not preparing and developing our faculty in ways that meet the needs of our students, we're, 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 we're just missing a big part of the picture. You know, when people think equality for everyone out there hearing, think of it as E-quality. Equality means to equitize quality for all. When you think about it that way, what Escala does 
is and says, we understand this is what we want to do. We understand we want to be the best at meeting the needs, graduating Latinos and all other students and students of color, other marginalized groups, and then all other students. We cannot do that if we're not offering the space, tools, resources to offer the development needed for faculty to have the confidence to lean into cultural relevant pedagogy, instruction, and teaching uh, so that they can meet the students where they're at. Everything is a strategy, everything has an intention, and it's the VP's role to push, to advocate, and to be grounded in all facets of that work. All facets, because we know how systems work. And we know these are institutions that were built for it. Pero mira, at the same time, let me just put it out there. Man, we're here, and we're here to stay. And so back to what I said before, we, we, we must learn today to walk through systems of oppression liberated so that we could get to the next day, think about the long term, and work with structures and ways that cultivate those type of spaces to comprehensively uh, uh, support the projects and initiatives. Everything from what many highlighted to all the other pieces, like the Richard Castro Distinguished Professorship that we have at this university, to other efforts around uh, Latinidad, to our affinity groups uh, with staff and faculty uh, who play a role, and then the community. The community is so key. And here, that community is so instrumental to the way that MSU Denver became that to not only acknowledge, but truly engage and involve with intention the community and how we think about how to best serve their kids. Those familias, if our, if our average age for students is 25, 26, we have a lot of, you know, we have what, about 60, 50 to 60% of our students are non-traditional. So we do got to think about who's a mom, who's the abuelita, quien es el papá y el tío, uh, you know, who lives with um, uh, the, the friend that they grew up with because things with the family are just so out of order. And so we got to understand that. Foster child culture, homelessness, and that cultura and how it impacts our gente. We're dealing with the Venezuela and Colombia crisis right now. What does it mean for a place like this to lean into uh, 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 that space with, with an urgency of service? and serving this, understanding that we're building tomorrow's future. And that's really what this work is about, right? It's, it's about, you know, I'll use the words uh, that my dear uh, sister shared with me uh, earlier this fall, Erica uh, uh, Alexander. She said, uh, the past is painful, uh, the present is precarious, but the future is free. And that's yeah. what this work, and that's what this work and the significance mm. of this work is about. And for anyone who is serving in high-level VP, vice chancellor roles, who are not fighting or heavily advocating uh, for this work, it's one thing when you're a director and there's a sense of vulnerability there, that's very real. But when you're at a senior VP level, it is your duty to go to bat. <laughs> And to fight, and, mm. and, and you've been entrusted with a platform that you need to own and own its responsibility and the beautiful and ugly that comes with it. Point blank. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Yes. <laughs> snap, snap, snap. Plus one, I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't even remember the question. <laughs> you took us on a journey. You took us on a journey there. <laughs> 
I think we're but moving also, into indicators of yeah. serving. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for bringing us back. Manny, I like that. I can see you and you're over there just giggling. Like, he's just going off. <laughs> he he just going. And you're probably thinking, he does this all the time. I'm used to it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for bringing so much good energy into this space. I love it, love it, love it. Um, but yeah, Mike, uh, let's, let's talk about that. You keep saying walking through spaces of oppression as liberated people. I like yeah. that. Two times yeah. you've said it. I think yeah. I sort of summarized that. But um, I talk about liberation, you know, and I want mm -hmm. us to get to the space where we like HSIs are spaces of liberation and, and we're going to measure that. Right. And I know at my um, talk last year, right, at, at, at OSSI that that I talked about it and you you stood up and said, this is how we're doing it at MSU Denver. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about that, about how y'all are thinking about how you're going to measure liberation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think for us, the way that we're doing it is, you know, we, we're understanding the moment of where we're at. We're understanding that there's a lot going on. And we're understanding that, the, you know, the, the, the idea of a metric system is colonial in itself. And yet, you know, metrics and being able to measure outcomes is what we lean on. So we, we truly do use a mixed methodology approach, everything from the quantitative that could help us gauge where we're at and, and what moving forward looks like to everything qualitative. Let's not dismiss the narratives and the qualitative element uh, that goes with the numbers and that tells the stories. Because sometimes we want to move from three right to 10 and we forget that it's okay for, to go from three to four and then from four to five and then five to six, right? And, 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 and there's also the reality around different institutions Institutional types. I think we're very fortunate to be at MSU Denver, that we have a, a trustee leadership that, get, that that generally gets it. We have a senior leadership that's uh, a largely all in. That's not the case for all institutions. Actually, most, most institutions are the opposite of that. Uh, so when I talk about walking through the systems as such and how we're uh, measuring or making an effort to uh, define uh, and, and measure liberation, I'm also speaking through it to a post-colonial lens of existing in space of oppression, but turning them into uh, spaces of, of, of resistance just by living, being, being present, doing, working, and walking through. You know, there's a saying in one of the Native communities, right? There's a reason why the buffalo moved directly through the storm, and it's to get to the other side quicker. Right. And and that's what that's what we're doing here at MSU Denver. Right. It is. It's literally as we we're, we're walking through because we know that eventually we're going to we're going to get to the other side. And we know ourselves best, better than anyone who comes in and does an assessment on us. If we're honest with ourselves, we should be able to identify where do we suck? Where are we? Where are we smashing it? Uh, where's our middle ground? What are the equity gaps? How do we lean into, into those and create our own measures uh, 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 and metrics for understanding where do we want to go based on our own contextual politics of servingness that are tied directly to this community? And I think that's what I hope a lot of institutions can walk away with uh, as well. So, you know, some of the ways that we're doing it and some of the efforts that many describe, but here's another way. We here created a teacher's assistance program that supplements the learning assistance program. Uh, 
I, I, I help fund this through the HERF HSI funds uh, because uh, the funds had a criteria that had to do with technology and the pandemic. And right, you had to think creatively. Or as we would say, I always love when people um, come at me and say, you're real innovative. And I'm like, oh, that's great, man. I don't know what the hell that means, but this is just what needs to happen and be done. So I'm doing what needs, but I'm glad that it's innovative right on, you know. It's also to say it's also to say that we created a TA program. We used sort of an equity framework, or we equitized it. And this TA program uh, serves about 70 courses per semester, so 140 courses throughout the year. And we have a that means we have 140 TAs, right? But because we equitized it, then we were able to get a, a, an incredible result. Almost half of the students, or about 50% close to the students that take the courses, are students of color. But you know what's even better, Gina? 45% of the teacher's assistants are students of color. Tell me another institution where you can look at the teacher assistants and say, damn, half the students who serve as TAs are students of color. Uh, and then the outcome around retention with respect to students staying because they had a TA that, that, that had at least some level of, of mentoring and cultural relevance to their pedagogic tone and how they showed up in the curricula, right? So to walk liberated, and to and it means that it is something that we truly have to define for ourselves and own it uh, in order to get us from point A to point M. It's not going to be easy, but we got to think creatively and we got to think about how we're prioritizing dollars, capacity, and spaces in a way that truly signify and demonstrate servingness. And that's, sure. you know... Uh, you know, I know I make it sound easy. Look, uh, I, I just own it. There's a conviction behind what comes with it. And anyone who's not ready to really advocate with that level of strategic strength, keyword strategic, because I'm not asking people to just go barking. No, you're going to get yourself in trouble like that. Have all your data, all your ducks in place, lean in strategically, and walk through the systems that weren't made for us. But I'm not here really to belong. I'm kind of here to... Uh, reclaimed. And so when I'm in, I'm existing in the spaces, I'm doing it with a level of, look, this is already ours. And so we just going to kind of remind you that this is already ours and we're going to walk that way. And you could do that strategically. You could do that tactfully, especially in academia. Absolutely. I don't think what you're doing is innovative. I just think it's dope. Innovative it's dope is the, you know, it's the it's the colonial <laughs> term, right? But we hip hop raised us. I'm gonna go with dope, right? Yeah, I'm not dope. That's dope, why. Right? That's why. Yeah. That's why I'm gonna give a little big up here while I can on on, on my homegirl Toby Jenkins' new book, Hip Hop Mindset. Uh, because mm. it, it, right, it, it speaks to the way we need to lean and into this kind of work to support the students, uh, especially when especially when we sell ourselves as inclusive, equitable, and diverse institutions. Mm -hmm. That's the piece. Now, if you don't want all the drama and the politics that come that, then don't be at the top saying we're all that. That way, students yeah. can make their own decisions and choices about whether or not to attend an institution based on what they are, who they are, and how they lean into serving this. But don't claim it and then and then not, not follow through. That's my pet peeve. Mm-hmm. For real. I like All dope. right, y'all. <laughs> dope. Yeah, it's, it's just dope.
or lit. I don't know. That's what they say these days. I think that we're beyond yeah. lit even. I'm just going with dope because that's my word. <laughs> that's the word yeah, I yeah. use. So don't hide it, it from me. That's my word too. That's my word too. I know. That's why I said because we were raised I, by the same hip hop. <laughs> I'm going to leave lit for the new generation. Lit's the new yeah, generation's nah. terms. But I'm going I'm to just keep it dope. <laughs> yep. Same. Same. We did. <laughs> <laughs> so, Manny. Can you talk to us about some of your external roles, which you have taught, you mentioned already, but um, again, mapping back onto the servantist framework, I talk about the external influences. So how mm. I want y'all to talk now about how you're pulling in um, resources right from beyond the institution and you are right smack in all of the spaces in Cotiel, <laughs> in Ati, in Colorado HSI Consortium. I don't know when you sleep, uh, you seem like you're working a lot. Um, but talk to us about how you, are not only contributing to those spaces, but how you accessing the, you know, those spaces to also help y'all advance serving this. Yeah, and definitely that that was my main goal, right? When I got into this role, like I definitely was like, I really need to make sure that I'm fully immersed in all of these spaces. And so it really started even like with Haku, like my first experience was like the Haku Capital Forum. And I was like, okay, well, and then experiencing that, I was like, okay, well, we really need to make sure that the whole state has this collective go-to effort. Because when I was there, I was like, oh, I was the only institution um, in that space. And so really making sure like I, I knew like, the, the services that Haku provides, the resources that they provide. Um, and so making sure that I'm like, okay, at least we'll we'll have a pulse of what Haku is providing. Uh, but then even like uh, dipping with excellence and education, um, uh, I participated in the Data Institute this past year. And so one of the goals of that was creating the, or doing the, again, focusing on disaggregated data, but then doing the the seal of excellencia. And so, so that was kind of like the blueprint that I was like, all right, let's at least you know, use this framework and see how it goes. And so being able to get the, the Silva Excelencia this year uh, was really uh, important for us to, uh, how Mike has it, it's really like our, our chancla, right, of, of making sure that we're, you know, holding ourselves accountable to this work. And so, um, but then that even led me into, you know, making sure that at least here in the state, uh, participating with the Colorado Coalition for the Educational Advancement of Latinx is um, typically, the title is pretty much the focus, right? Really making sure that we're looking at post-secondary um, professionals as well, really being able to develop a community of support and, and really focusing on the, you know, educational attainment of, of Latinx is here in the state. And so it's been pretty exciting, though, that that COSEAL has a lot of history because a lot of the founders of COSEAL were also um, faculty and staff members that were here um, at MSU Denver, right? So we had like Judy Bonaquiste and we had... Uh, you know, President Jordan was even part of that, right? So he was the one that, uh, you know, led the task force. And so so there's a lot of connections just here in the state of leaders and of important work. And so even being the president now of COSEAL, like a lot of that, and we we just got our, we celebrated our quinceanera, and that's pretty much like our mini haku for the state, right? It was kind of like, how do we create resources and support um, for institutions that are really supporting our Latinx populations? And so really being able to bring in COSEAL into this mix, um, really be supporting the work that we're doing has really been helpful in, in building that coalition work um, here as a state. And then I would even say like the, the work with like ASI has been important. Uh, I remember attending ASI and I remember seeing you, you know, hearing you speak there and I was like, oh my gosh, definitely need to be here, uh, be engaged. And so that's kind of, again, talking to Marla Franco and she was the one that suggested me to be on ASI's council. And so again, just see, seeing the significance of like, hey, we have these organizations like ASI that are providing best practices, um, you know, conferences, providing webinars. And so again, I, I really wanted to give back to these organizations that really helped me in my role to then be like, okay, 
now I know the landscape. Now I know what's going on. Um, so really being able to contribute now um, to these areas. And, and I think, again, another one was the, the Colorado HSI Consortium. Um, so that was huge, uh, you know, being a co-founder with uh, Dr. Roberto Montoya, who at the time was the chief equity uh, education officer um, for the Colorado Department of Higher Ed. And so really being intentional of saying, hey, we really wanted to start something here at MSU Denver, but bring in the Colorado Department of Higher Ed, but then also bring in the Colorado Community College System, because again, making sure that these three forces were together, because again, you don't know, politics, right? There might be institutions that are like, oh, this MSU Denver thing, we def definitely don't want to participate, right? But really making sure that we had these two other organizations part of this work. So yeah, so I think that that was my my goal, right? Really, with with working with these organizations, is again they they provided a platform for me to learn about my role and what's going on. Um, so it was important for me to to really give back to these spaces. And and so I just also want to give a shout out to like for AHI, the association, the American Association of Hispanics in Higher Ed, um, my co-chair for the HSI committee, uh, Dr. Mari Mora, um, you know, being the deputy provost, but then serving as the the you know interim provost, having her role on the HSI committee has been an important piece. But then also she's on the board now for AHI. And so again, we're gonna be hosting them, you know, in spring of 2025. And so so that's been exciting to have that relationship and folks involved. Um, and, and again, I think even just with like the consortium, it's, it's been really important for us mm -hmm. to, to really build this connection, right, of support, creating a statewide servingness definition. And so it was important for us at our last session. I was like, oh my gosh, y'all need to definitely need to know Dr. Garcia, Dr. Garcia's work, uh, making sure that they know the typology of the multidimensional framework. And I was like, all right, we all have a good, clear understanding. <laughs> this is how we're going to move forward. Um, and so that's been exciting too right now with, with the consortium, just really trying to figure out, you know, where are we placing this? Um, again, you know, knowing that we have CoSeal and CoSeal is a paid membership. And so really trying to then figure out, you know, we have these um, two sort of coalitions. And so how are we going to be working together? And so that was exciting with, with CoSeal. Uh, we have steering committees. And so we have a data and policy group. And so, again, really working with them to say, look, I want us to also be able to collect data here in the state that then we could support the consortium work. Um, so, again, finding like areas where we could uh, provide folks. And again, a lot of this work is labor of love. Like I always tell everyone, I was like, everyone that we're working with is labor of love. Um, and so, again, I think that that's been exciting with the consortium. And we're currently submitting a proposal to the Lumina Foundation to be able to have our first inaugural summit uh, that'll be for fall of 2024. And so mm -hmm. um, that's been exciting, too, to really be able to just share with community colleges, with other, you know, two years and four years, and really be able to say, like, look, these are the best practices. This is how the work that's going. And I wanted to just preface for our Higher Education Diversity Summit. Summit, that really set the impetus for us starting the consortium because it was Dr. Marla Franco who came and was one of our keynotes and shared all the work that they're doing in Arizona. And that's kind of pretty much where we were like, you know what, we definitely need to establish something here in the state. And so um, that's been really exciting too, to then also bring in like scholars like Dr. Susana Munoz, who talks about DACA and undocumented students. And so what we really want to do with this consortium to make us, um, that will make us more unique is really focusing on our DACA and undocumented students. And so again, that goes back to our history of MSU, where I'm all like, look, 
this student population needs to be at the forefront of us moving forward as a state of servingness, just because of the history that we have. So, um, so it's really been exciting to to really lead these efforts, to be in these spaces, to have opportunities to. And for me, it's really about just sharing, you know, what's working for us with other professionals, and again, just helping them out, right? Because again, I don't want to co-op this servingness and be like, oh, you're not, you know, why repeat the will when you know you could share that and. And so that's been really important for us in this work. Yeah, I, let me. Do, I, I want to add to that, Gina, right? Because I also think there's something about the, this this whole thing of how are we repeating a will or how are we leaning into. I, I I think that there's such a struggle at times for people to really lean into and own what the servants look like for them at their respective institutions based on the politics there. There's not a one size fits all. We have to be contextually responsive and creative uh, to the way that's going to make sense our our respective institutions. And so, like the same way. Manny, for example, has cultivated and amplified this uh, relationships with these national organizations. And these are organizations that in part do some amazing work, but in part also recycle a lot of the Eurocentric frameworks uh, don't, don't quite fit in as nicely, but still offer a playbook, still offer a way for us to be able to learn from. And we need to be able to lean into that to get to the other end. And that includes cultivating relationships with external organizations here, like the Mexican Cultural Center center in the Denver community, like the Latino American Cultural Center and the Art Center, right? Uh, and these other entities that locally are, are play significant roles and are partners in, in helping us also drive an aesthetic and a cultural sensibility around Latinidad and Hispanic servingness. And I don't care if you identify as Latino, Latina, Latinx, Lat you know, uh, Hispanic, and in my case, Afro-Taino Boricua, at the end, we're all part of something that's bigger than us, and we can't get caught up in the pettiness of the politics on the ground. We need to allow the ground to inform how we move strategically again and liberate it through systems. Because it's not about me, it's not about you or many, it's about who and how we serve. Bottom line, the students. And the second part is nurturing the conditions for faculty and staff who support our students to be able to be successful uh, in, in the work they do uh, to be partners. And just to also add, lastly, on there, too, I think that that's really important when we did the consortium was because we know that students are coming to the community college system and they're transferring maybe mm -hmm. to MSU Denver for their master's and then they're going to UCD for their doctorate, right? And so making sure that, again, we're really focusing on the students here in the state, right? Because we know that students are transferring to different institutions. And so we really want to make sure that we're a truly serving state and not, you know, um, putting these more barriers to students to transfer. Um, and so that, that that was really important for us um, to move forward. And, and I think, again, um, one of the last things I wanted to share, too, is that building these relationships to really allowed folks to do their doctorates um, based off of our student population mm -hmm. and research. And so, again, we have uh, three three doctoras who are doing their, their work, right, with one engaging on, on providing more qualitative research on our student population. So one looked at our undergraduate students, again, found out that, hey, we needed more, you know, faculty need to be more culturally relevant, right, in their, you know, curriculum and their pedagogy. Another one used photo voice and student engagement and our DACA and documented students. And so, you know, through using that photo voice methodology, now we have visuals 
you know, of, of a display, you know, that that student provided. And so that's something that's going to contribute to our murals here on campus of like, hey, this was exciting research that was done. And then a current advisee of mine, um, who is a displaced Aurorian scholar, you know, who pretty much, you know, describes our three institutions, of Las Tres mm -hmm. Hermanas, you know, she's currently mm -hmm. right now looking at um, Chicana uh, masters, first generation master students um, and their, you know, persistence as well as how, how Ms. U Denver is serving them. And so again, these have been really exciting. One, to have folks that are like, hey, we want to do research on your campus. And I was like, great, you're literally doing work that could help us out and improve our servingness. Um, and so that's what's been exciting too, is, is even that study too of the term Chicana and how that is important for the terminology here in the state. Yep. And I was even saying too that, you know, mm. she just had a hard time looking up data and articles on that. And I was like, hey, that's something that as we're moving forward as a state in the consortium, we can make sure that as we're disaggregating data, that when we use the term Hispanic Latino, that we could have a subset of group and allow folks to use, you know, to identify mm -hmm. as Chicana or Chicano. Um, so again, because of the regional context that's here. Yep. And then even folks were like, oh my gosh, why are we using the, um, the for our uh, stoles, why are we using um, a Mexican theme sort of stole? And I was like, well, it kind of has that symb symbolism to the Chicano movement here in the state, you know? And so again, having those discussions too with folks of, of why the significance of some of the things that we're doing here. So, um, so it's been pretty exciting. Again, these external forces, and I think that allows folks to be able to say, hey, let's reach out and see if they want to collaborate or let's reach out. For, and so, so again, I think that the external presence has allowed folks to reach out for other ideas. And, and so I think that that's truly that coalition building right there. Mm -hmm. um, and it, what's important in this work. Yep. Yep. Mm, mm. Y'all are just feeding my soul over here. So much, so much important knowledge and so many important conversations that need to happen. And y'all are having them um, at a state level. I do really appreciate Colorado. I'm pretty sure I have visited almost every HSI or emerging HSI in the state at this point. Um, and yeah, very unique campuses. Every single campus has got to do HSI different um, because, you know, it's different everywhere you go, even different parts of the state, right? Like one part I go and they're like, well, we serve, you know, the the like snow winter season, right? Like that's what mm -hmm, our students mm -hmm. end up going that, right? Right. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about there's regional differences in Colorado, right? And and mm -hmm. people are, are thinking about their future careers based on the part of the region they're in Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so serviness has to reflect that, right? Yes. That 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 matters a lot. Um, to how we're doing serving now. So, That's right. so thank y'all for bringing all of that in. Um, we got to have to wrap this up. I have so many more questions, but we are coming to the end of our time. Um, I did want to also say that we do have another redefined term instead of accountability. It's the chancla effect. All right. I like that. We're going right. to cite yes. Dr. Benitez for that. Yeah. Because that <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah. Like accountability is one of those, eh, it's like innovative. <laughs> yeah, not or, that. Or potential. Not that potential. <laughs> Yeah. So I love that because that, that was kind of cool in case people missed that, right? That accountability is the chancla in the Latino community in particular. So last question, everybody's got to answer. Can't get out of the pod without answering your question because the name of the pod is Que Pasa HSI. So what y'all, what y'all think? Que Pasa? Que Pasa HSI? Que Pasa, Manny? Definitely. Where's the coalition building and, and how are we doing that? Um, collectively and intentionally, um, really to support our students and make them the forefront, students, faculty, and staff. All right, from my angle, ¿Qué pasa, HSIs? 
Mira, mi gente out there, man. We got to get out of the petty at times and focus on the greater work that we have in front of us uh, and, and ahead of us. You know, the reality is that, right, there's all these different ways. You know, there's a reason why Chicano identity matters here. But if you go to New York and you look at the work of, like, uh, 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 Miriam Jimenez and Juan Flores, who talk about triple consciousness and Afro-Latino identities and, and the way we need to be responsive to that, like in the Northeast, right, in New York. So I'm asking us to deal with all the dopeness that we are, all the complexity, nuance around Latinidad that we are, but let's also deal with the, 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 the traumatic and epigenetic effects of uh, colonialism and the way we're, we're also honest. Let's deal with the ugly, too, because if we don't address anti-blackness and the way it shows up, if we don't address uh, 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 things like Marianismo and the way that shows up, if we don't address the uh, a full totality of the good and the bad, we're going to have a tough time getting to the other end. It's going to be about crumbs and not about the pie. And I'm going to leave those crumbs alone because that pie looks tasty. And that's how we're doing here, whether in Mexican color, they call that shit a pastel. In Puerto Rican culture, we call it a bizcocho. They both look good. And que pasa, HSI? I want that cake. I'm going after <laughs> that cake. Eso lo que pasa. Yes, love it. <laughs> Thank you for all of this. This was such a great, fun conversation. I appreciate you both being here today. Gina and Mana, so gratitude, gratitude, and more gratitude. Keep doing that work. And, um, you know, we're going to link up soon somewhere. You know how that rolls. Gracias. <laughs> and muchas gracias, eh? Thank you.